Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Yes, indeed, it's me again, Alex Williams-Smith by birth, but better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis of MagicalGuru.com. Anyway, enough about me. I'm delighted to have another amazing guest for you this week on Hypnosis Week. Uh, a lady that I've spoke to before in the past, and indeed, if you go on to... She was interviewing me then, Lo. If you go on YouTube and type her name in and my name, you will find that interview. But now it's time to kind of change seats, as it were. And I'm going to be the one asking most of the questions. She's come up with her own uh, therapeutic approach called Profound Synabulism. And she's going to tell us a bit about that. And I'm going to pick her brains on other things as well. So please welcome to the show, Stephanie C. Conkle. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on your show. And um, before we get going, what would you prefer to be called, Jonathan or Alex? I never know what to call you. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's bloody awkward. I mean, um, whatever whatever you feel most comfortable with. The, the, the confusion is because I'm one of those few people on Facebook with a stage name right. who now is completely honest and has their account, personal account, in my birth name because <laughs> right. somebody tried sticking the knife in and my account got closed when it was under the name okay gotcha so, so yeah whatever you feel comfortable with so let's dive in right at the beginning this is the question i always ask everybody each week and it's amazing how varied the answers can be um you are now a hypnotherapist you've got years of experience in different areas you've developed your own protocol which we'll come to later but at some point Stephanie wasn't a hypnotist, a hypnotherapist, or any of those things. What's your journey that led you to where you are now? Oh, wow. Okay, so how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> I was born. No, okay. So it does, it does go all the way back into my childhood, just my fascination for hypnosis. Um, my father had been to a clinical hypnotherapist, to, we're not allowed to use the word cure, but I'm just going to say to cure him of his insomnia. Um, he had chronic insomnia. He's had bouts of insomnia here and there. Uh, this was back in the early 80s, by the way. So it's, but he's never had the same chronic insomnia um, that he had before seeing the hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm. So I was just a little kid back then, and I remember how amazed he was. But I really remember, because I didn't know much about insomnia as a kid, <laughs> what I remembered was that my dad is also a, a bit of a ham, and he's an actor, he has an acting background, um, and a salesperson, and he's the type that can, you know, he's a very people person, and he's the type of guy that can, you know, sell paint off of a wall to you, right, he's that personality, and so he thought it would be fun to hypnotize his children, even though he knew nothing about hypnosis other than what the hypnotherapist did with him, right? <laughs> right. So he thought it would be fun just to sort of experiment on me. And um, I must have been maybe 10 years old, nine or 10 at this time. And um, so he did, the, he did the whole progressive muscle relaxation because he didn't, he hadn't been to a stage hypnotist. So he did that and that got very comfortable and very relaxed. And then he started giving me the suggestions. Um, I, I paid attention to what he was telling me, right? And then he said, but he didn't give me a, a point. Okay, go now. And I remember him saying, go downstairs to the kitchen 
fill up a glass of water and bring it upstairs to me. That was his suggestion or his hypnotic command. Okay. And I didn't do it right away because he didn't say, do it now. He, you know, so I was waiting for that, do it now. So he said, oh, this isn't working. Wake up. This isn't working. Get up. (laughs) And so what do you think happened once I woke up? Well, I'm I'm, going to take a guess. (laughs) Just based on what you said, that you went downstairs, got some water and brought it up? I absolutely did. Um, And I brought him the water and he said to me, what are you doing? And I was like so confused at that point because I felt that strong compulsion that I needed to go and bring him water. Now, of course, he's an authority figure. I have to do what my father says anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. But what was weird is that I, I, I really remember that compulsion to that I felt like I had to do it almost like OCD. Like I just, ha- I don't know why I have to do this, but I, I feel like something's not complete until I do this. <laughs> right. So, so I did that and I, and I thought, wow, that was kind of interesting. Um, then later on in my teenage years, um, I remember watching a show on PBS or public broadcasting station over here in America. Um, and the the, the moderator was interviewing a hypnotist and the hypnotist had what I now believe to be a somnambulist with him. Um, And he was doing all kinds of the hypnotic phenomenon with the somnambulist. And I remember one thing he got her to do was put her, her hand like way up in the air. And he said to imagine that there was this uh, rope hanging down from the ceiling and your arm is just resting comfortably And he talked for an hour with her arm up like that. I remember my arm hurting (laughs) for her arm. And he kept checking back in with her. How do you feel? Are you comfortable? Yes, this is totally comfortable. feels just like I'm hanging onto a rope. Okay, so I knew that she wasn't like forcing her arm up there because she kept saying it felt very comfortable. So I remember thinking like, Wow, that's really fascinating. Uh, the brain is amazing. I would really like to to learn more about hypnosis, but kind of put that in the back of my mind. Went on to college, university, and um, I went away for the weekend because on the weekends I drove home. And then I came back on a Monday when I had to come back. My boyfriend and my sorority sisters and all my friend group who were very smart people, all dean's list and whatever. <laughs> um, had all gone um well a comedy hypnotist had come to the campus that weekend to perform and they had all volunteered for his show like my whole friend group had volunteered okay and so when i got back on monday everybody was telling me about this like amazing phenomenon that had happened with them um which you know in my mind it just blew me away because i was imagining everything that they were telling me like oh man you really felt like you're your hiney was on fire whoa what really (laughs) you know and uh and i think maybe even if i had watched the show it would not have had as big of an impact as everybody describing it to me in detail and then using my own imagination and so i just thought wow like hypnosis is so powerful like so cool um but um i went on to get a degree in film and video production (laughs) And, you know, I worked on the set of Dawson's Creek and um, I did some acting and I did some um, and I and I and I made some low budget horror films and, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, but then from, 
something happened. Um, oh, 9-11 happened. And, um, and the economy here in America just went non-existent. I mean, um, we, I couldn't find jobs working in um, film or theater that paid enough money to, um, for me to survive. Mm. Newlywed. Um, and I wanted to uh, move back to Atlanta where my family was based because I, because I wanted to have children and I, and I wanted to, I wanted support for my family because I knew that I couldn't like raise these little monsters on my own. <laughs> still, <laughs> little adorable monsters, but still. <laughs> um, so we moved back and also, but the main reason actually why I moved back to Atlanta was because, um, it was a bigger city that we were w living in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is a little town in the South. And that's where they were filming Dawson's Creek. And that's where we were working. Um, but there was a hiring freeze everywhere. Um, and nobody, you know, unless you already had a, and we were, I was just working job to job. And unless you already had a job, then um, you couldn't get work anywhere. But in Atlanta, um, which is a much bigger, is the largest city in the South, uh, there were plenty of corporate jobs. And so my sister uh, got me a corporate job. <laughs> and says, come move to Atlanta. And I thought, well, I, I want to start a family and I need money anyway, so why not? So I moved to Atlanta. I started working corporate. Um, I was pretty good at what I did. Uh, I was doing well financially. It was very stressful. <laughs> and I hated being there. I hate it going to, you know, and it wasn't nine to five. It was eight in the morning to like 10 p.m. at night. I had a very strict boss. Um, I was very grateful to have the job. I worked there for uh, about five years. And uh, but I remember thinking, like, I can't do this. Um, and it wasn't just it wasn't the work because I'm, I'm a pretty good worker. It was the day-to-day -day grind it was not being able to control my own hours um it was having a boss over me breathing down my neck micromanaging me um it was the product that we were selling to the customers that i wasn't in alignment with so there were so many things and i remember just thinking i remember one day i was driving to work and this big old mac truck came behind me and almost hit me almost because i had to drive in a lot of rush hour traffic and Atlanta has the worst rush hour traffic and maybe in the whole uh, country besides LA. Um, I almost got hit, but I didn't. It was a near miss. But I thought to myself, I wish that truck had hit me. <laughs> no. Because then at least I could be hospitalized and um, I could get out of work for a few weeks in the hospital. I think it must have been a pretty dire environment if, if thought like that crossed your mind completely completely and I was telling people I'm depressed I'm not happy this is not good and nobody was really and it's like anybody's like really listening to what I was really saying um then I did then I got pregnant um five years later <laughs> I got pregnant and um and I and you know and I hate to say it but I used the baby as a ticket out of there <laughs> so I said I once the baby was born I was like I have to stay at home and take care of this baby now the mortgage was um you know the, the the loan for the mortgage was based on my salary <laughs> my husband was also unemployed not unemployed but underemployed at the time he was only working at starbucks um mm -hmm. so we could get insurance through that um but i said i'm staying at home with the baby because if we put the baby in daycare it's going to be just as much money as if i were to go to work I mean, my whole salary would go towards a daycare so i'm going to stay home with the baby 
so you've got to find work. <laughs> so, so he did, he hustled and he found work. Um, he, so he's working two jobs and, uh, and I had two more babies after that, but even being, a, so I thought, Oh, you're a brave woman. <laughs> I know. I know. Sometimes they just, sometimes they just surprise you too. Sometimes they're not planned. Um, so I was just working. Oh no, not working. Well, it was work. I mean, being a, being a stay at home mom, it's very hard work. I was I was wishing I was back at corporate. <laughs> you know, I was like, can nothing make me happy? But that's because um, there was no adult conversation and you're with the babies all the time and it's constant vigilance. And you have to really, you don't get off work when Do you you're- Do you had any postnatal depression at all? Oh yes, definitely. I think looking back now, I think I definitely had postnatal, um, yes, postnatal depression. I think I definitely had that. I didn't know what it was at the time. And mm-hmm. so I just thought, man, I'm just so depressed. I'm so unhappy. That's when I started like looking into myself, like what's wrong with me. I started doing some self-help, you know, reading some health, self-help books, watching some shows, um, kind of got a little bit into Tony Robbins back then. Um, and, but, the, but the little self-help stuff that I was doing was really helping me and I was really feeling better and I was getting my, my self back on track. Um, I became a life coach because I was like, I do need more money just to bring, like, I need to supplement our income because we are just making the bills, but not, not comfortably. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I was like, let me, you know, let me just do some life coaching. I can, I can meet my clients over at Starbucks, see my husband, (laughs) coach them, you know, Uh, that kind of thing. So I started off as a life coach. Um, didn't really stay too long as a life coach because um, th- now this gets into my hypnotherapy story, <laughs> mm-hmm. how I became a hypnotherapist. So now around this time, um, I told you that we worked on um, low budget horror. Mo- like my my husband actually made a, a, a I'm not even going to say the name of the of the movie because it's horrible. Do not watch it. <laughs> Oh, I'm now you see, I'm dead curious. I bet everyone's watching. Really terrible, terrible. Okay, it's called Zombie. It's it's about a satanic zombie chicken. It's really satanic zombie zombie chicken. What's the actual name? The Zombie. Zombie. Just called. I'm sure I've seen some clips of it. You might have. Yeah. There's a niche for that. Some people really love just real campy bad acting horror movies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is who this movie is for. Now, somehow, mysteriously, his movie got accepted into the Cannes International Film Festival. Okay. <laughs> and so um, I'm a, I was a producer on that movie and also obviously the director's wife. And so we got the invitation to go to Cannes and, you know, walk the red carpet. Mm-hmm. And I had developed a severe fear of flying after the baby was born, after my oldest was born. Like I could not get on an airplane. I could not think about flying. Um, you know, my palms would start sweating and my heart would race. If I had to just, you know, if I, if I had a flight scheduled, it was like two weeks out in the future. I would, I would get a visceral response to it. I would you be the motherly instinct protection of a child or do you think it was partly that and maybe because I know in America it's quite common since 9-11 for people to develop 
Yeah, I think it was a whole bunch of things. I think it was because I was a mom now and I, you know, I didn't have the suicide ideation anymore. <laughs> you know, like I wanted it to live. And I think it partly because I'm a bit of a control freak and I just didn't at that time really didn't understand the science behind uh, how planes stay in the air. And then also 9-11 um, had happened and really affected the country. So getting on an airplane was terrifying for me. But I was like, if I don't get on this airplane, I, mean, I can't take a, you know, can't take a princess cruise over. <laughs> well, I could, but, <laughs> but, but I've, got to, I've got to get on this airplane and I've got to fly to France and just suck it up and do it. And I, and I knew that it was psychological because I had no problems whatsoever flying before the baby was born. I had traveled the world. I had gone um, on this, you know, year long uh, uh, backpacking trip all through Europe with my you know, like with one of my good friends and we had to hopper planes everywhere. I wasn't afraid of any of that. So when uh, it was time for me to have to, 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 to do this, I was like, okay, I'm not going to miss maybe, maybe the only opportunity I'll ever have in my life, <laughs> perhaps to walk the red carpet in mm-hmm. at the Cannes International Film Festival. Like I have to go. And I knew it was psychological. And so the first thing that came to me was, hypnosis. I just need some, I go, just need somebody to hypnotize me so I can get on the plane <laughs> mm-hmm. and go. And um, at that time, I couldn't afford a hypnotherapist. There were hypnotherapists in my area, but I, we didn't have a lot of money and we had to pay for the trip. And so I just bought a recording, a hypnosis recording online. <laughs> and, um, and that recording did not completely get rid of my fear of flying at that time. But it was enough to get me on the plane because I couldn't have even gotten on the plane before. So okay. it was enough to get me on the plane. I could listen to it as I was flying. And it was just sort of a comfort to me um, during the trip. Later, I did get hypnotized by a clinical, by two different clinical hypnotherapists who both worked on me for the fear of flying. And now it's completely gone. I'm a confident flyer. You know, I fly you know, I've got to ask you there for people on probably thinking, what? Why did you have to see two? Well, same thing. The first one I'm going to say was just was um. I think it was really sessions that I needed. So the the first one was really just a student I think who um really didn't you know who kind of helped a little bit, but I, I don't think that he was um skilled enough at the time to really get rid of it completely. So, and then the the other hypnotist um, was also a student, but I think he was more skilled and he was also an airplane pilot. (laughs) Ah. And so that helped because he could really give me insider information that my my left brain needed to know. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting now because I I, I did a phobia training event years ago and uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Um, well, well, Captain Ian Robertson, um, or Captain Busby as we call him, he's an airline pilot, but he's also a therapist. But he says that he finds that because he genuinely has got the pilot stripes and all that can prove his airtime. Yes, yes. Often just talking people through how safe flying right. actually really is Right. And what actually happens if an engine went, the fact that, you know, that's not actually that much of a deal 
Right, they have backup. That quite often that alone, because of the credibility authority factor of him as a captain, can be what helps get rid of most of the fear before he even ever has to do the therapy session. And it sounds like you kind of had that experience. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I remember him saying, uh, and and also I'm a very more of the analytical type. So um, I'm very aware of the sessions, but I remember him saying um, there's multiple, multiple, multiple backup <laughs> systems mm-hmm. and just the words multiple backup systems that just clicked with me somehow that just like really resonated and um, and that the plane is a glider. So even if you lose all of the engines, it's designed to glide. And that that was comforting to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it was just just the way he did it. You know, just what he said was very comforting. Also, I, I had gone to um, I did a little bit of self-hypnosis, too, that I think also added to it. And I had gone to uh, a hypnotherapy conference um, in Dallas. And that's the first time I had met Scott Sandlin. And he was teaching. Um, pain management, pain control. And the, the one thing that I learned from him was the stacking anchors technique. And so, um, so once I started doing the stacking anchors technique on myself, when you just kind of, instead of, you know, the hypnotherapist would do it on your arm, but you could do it on your own legs, you could do it to yourself. Um, then that, I think really, that got me through for a number of years. Can you briefly, just in case there's anyone watching who doesn't know what stacking anchors is, could you briefly explain what? Sure, and collapsing, stacking and collapsing. Okay. Um. So, so you're right. So, um. So, so this is a technique where the the idea behind this is to build resource states. Okay, and if if you want to use a metaphor, um. So you have the states of um, the negatives. We'll call them negative, the negative states um, of whatever your fears, your phobias are. You anchor that those in and then you have and then you stack them. Stack them means you just you just do one after the other, just on top of each other. And then you, uh, you know, touch, anchor it in through touch or sound or however you want to anchor it in. Um, but in this case, touch. OK, so so you would first start off with the negative states and you would just stack maybe three negative states kind of like down here, but I would do it on my leg. Mm -hmm. And then you would stack positive states. And so metaphorically, it's like turning on a light because positive states um, overcome the negative states. So when you turn on a light switch, the light overcomes the darkness. There's not a dark switch. There's a light switch. So Mm -hmm. the same thing with positive energy. And we're really talking about energy here. So the positive energy overcomes the negative energy and like clears it out. So, so, then we stack like maybe 10 or 20 positive resource states and then we collapse them. So collapsing them, you, I can't do it. I can't show it to you right here, but you can touch both um, places at the same time where you had anchored in. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of like brush it down like, like that. And then when you do that, then, then you're better. Okay. Because then you only feel the positive states and then you can test for that by the, you know, the 10 to zero scale. And, and so you can ask them how they feel. Um, you know, what, like I actually just did a kind of a modified version of this with a client yesterday. And so his anxiety, he had, he had an anxiety of, um, of blood okay. and he had, he has a dentist appointment next, uh, next week and it's going there is going to be a lot of I think he's getting his wisdom teeth or something like that pulled so there's gonna be a lot of blood mm-hmm. and he has a you know huge phobia of blood 
And so I did a version of that where um, I just really stacked a lot of, you know, positive states, resource states. And, and, and I, and it, and, you know, I think he, his anxiety was like at a nine, even just thinking about it in his imagination, it would hit, you know, it's gotten up to a nine. And then um, after, after we linked them to the, uh, to the positive states, it went, it went down to a one very quickly. And then it went down to a zero. Um, so neurons that uh, wired or neurons that fire together, wire together. So I think that's what's going on in the brain. So um, so then I had him try to bring up the anxiety again. I tried, you know, tried to, let's imagine that you're bleeding and there's just blood everywhere. There's a pool of blood, right? And he could not bring up that anxiety again. So um, that's sort of the theory or the idea behind that. Cool. I mean, that's a very classy NLP. Yeah, NLP. Uh, therapy right. technique. Um and and that really helped me mitigate the fear of flying um, for a long time. I just did that to myself. Anytime I had some nervousness come up, you know, I would just fire off my triggers again and, and then I would be great. So now I don't even have to use that at all. I'll be, I've not come across uh, uh, peop, a lot of people who actually use it in that way. Cause with stuff like phobias and fears mm-hmm. tends to be the, you know, the sort of, five minute 15 minute phobia cure fast phobia oh the fast phobia cure you're right yeah um and no see nobody had used fast no remember keep in mind this is early in my career and i didn't know a lot about (laughs) hypnosis at the time i just got very fascinated in hypnosis and it just started out for me as a curiosity i just wanted to know how to do it and how it works and why it works. And I'm still trying to, 12 years later, I'm still trying to figure out why this works, you know? Um, now that's an interesting concept, to, to, to be honest, that's the holy grail and you'll probably be searching forever like absolutely all of us. Um, that debate rattles on. But where we are now, as we record this on the 30th of January, 2020, I mentioned that in case you will see this in months or years to come. You do now have your own protocol that you teach, which yeah. we're going to come to in a second. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, on your journey from going into hypnotherapy to where you are now teaching your own kind of approaches and, uh, and variations and whatnot, there would have been likely certain things. I mean, you've just given us one example, collapsing anchors right. uh, and states. There were probably everyone has kind of favorite techniques. What did you find yourself using most with clients technique wise? So, yeah, I think um, definitely the fast phobia. I thought that was a great technique. And um, sometimes I forget about it because I haven't used it in such a long time. And then like like when I don't really, you know, I, I, I do deep trance hypnosis now, but you don't have to do deep trance hypnosis on everybody. And, you know, so it, it surprised me because I did use that technique the other day um, in more of a waking hypnosis um, yeah. state. And it was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot, like, how well this technique, like, really works. And you don't have, people don't have to go into any kind of, you know, deep hypnosis. By the way, um, we know that there is no such thing as depth of trance, right? Um, but just as a metaphor, I like to use it. 
um, because really what, what is, or we can get all into that in a moment. And I know that we have sort of like conflicting ideas on that. I don't even think they're conflicting. I think they're just. Well, I don't know what you've just said surprised me. Cause I was going to ask you one of the, one of the questions that I have down here to remind me was, come on, what's all this cobblers about depths of trance? I mean, right, right. they either react or they don't. So it's, um, well, yes, yes. So I, I do want to actually get into that. So I, you know, there's all this debate out there that, oh, there's no such thing as trance or we're all in a state of trance. There's we're, we're in trance all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's no such thing as hypnosis because everything is hypnosis. Right. <laughs> so I think that's your stance. Right. Is that correct? That's the closest and that suggestion is, you know, if they respond to suggestion, then that is hypnosis. Yeah. So I'm not going to disagree with that. I do think that that is true, actually, 100%. But I think that's one part of it. I think there's two. I think there's two processes. I think there's what Dave Ellman called waking hypnosis. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're doing when we do NLP, um, when we're doing our pre-talks, when we're doing any kind of, um, I'm going to say light trance hypnosis okay awareness you know the client's still aware of what you're doing right and then we've got a deeper what i'm going to call somnambulism which is deeper than uh just plain suggestion so now you need suggestion to sort of activate this somnambulism okay so that they have to work together so you really have to know both how to do waking hypnosis and um somnambulistic hypnosis okay but once they get into somnambulism it's like a like a switch has flipped okay and because like this is the the best way i can describe it it's like when you go to sleep at night um you don't remember when you're falling asleep you just know that you were kind of awake and then you woke up the next day you might remember dreaming sometimes sometimes you don't remember your dream at all and because hypnosis mimics sleep, and I call it hypnotic sleep, because we know it's not exactly natural sleep. We don't really know what it is exactly, but we do know that it mimics sleep. So I think at some point, just that something something switches in the brain or whatever, so that the client goes into a dissociative state where they're conscious, but they're not aware. They're not aware of really what you're saying or, or telling them to do. I mean, they are part of them is their subconscious is, but their conscious mind has gone off, drifted away to what I call hypnotic sleep. And so that's where I work. So I work in um, what's called profound somnambulism. So profound somnambulism is even deeper, using that as a metaphor, even deeper than somnambulism because you get different type of hypnotic phenomenon when you get the client into profound somnambulism really amazing things happen so you can get the positive and negative hallucinations um you easily get amnesia but then you can also get the subconscious part of the client to speak through the client while the client is sleeping or in that hypnotic sleep completely unaware completely dissociated almost as if the client is outside of himself <laughs> right see so-called direct voice direct uh, voice yes uh, that is something that i 
first played around with, oh, Christ, in the very late 80s, early 90s, after doing a course with a guy called Neil French. Okay. Uh, I think Neil's still alive, but he's retired, but he was the founder of the International Association of Hypnoanalysts that a guy called Robin Kelly in London's now bought out. And that direct voice actually having the person speak, but not be consciously aware Yes. Rather, a verbal version of idiomotor response. People watching probably know what idiomotor response is. Right. Tell them one finger yes, one no. But with this, you tell them unconscious to use the person's voice box to speak to you effectively. Right. But the thing was that the inductions that um, Neil French taught were nothing more than a pretty standard progressive relaxation induction with a pretty normal staircase deepener he didn't even go into things like fractionation and he just effectively said right and then go for it so and he worked so that will work if the person is already a natural somnambulist okay so for what like i don't know how accurate the numbers are well it worked for the vast majority of them it strikes me that the reason it works it's because the person's there with the the spending money, they've got the intent of something happening, they believe in the authority figure, and it's all part of the pantomime and charade. So what? But what I found in my own, I'm just going to say from my experience, that's all I can talk. Well, please, excellent, please yeah. do that. Yeah. It. So yeah. I can do something a very basic, you know, hi- hypnosis. I can do just very. I don't have to do the fractionation and all of that. If the person is fairly somnambulistic to begin with okay and also usually um what i find clients who are who are very uh, already somnambulistic are people who have gone through a trauma in their life like a big trauma so they've naturally dissociated i believe that once you dissociate it once you can easily dissociate as many times as you want so i think so ptsd is one of my specialties because it's they're the easiest people to hypnotize because they've already been dissociated and probably a number of times before they've seen you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> That's an interesting observation now, Stephanie. Yeah. Thank you. And also, just, you know, very creative people, people who write novels and stuff like that, they, they tend to be a little bit more somnambulistic. So for those people, if I kind of know that they're already somnambulistic, um, I can just do just basic induction, basic deep burner, and then, and then get them into profound somnambulism. Um, for the other majority of people, it's still not hard. Uh, I have to do uh, a few more techniques to get them there. It's not, I mean, none of this is hard. Uh, it takes a, l- a bit longer, I would say. It's a little bit of a longer process to get the majority of people into profound somnambulism. For me, it takes me about 45 minutes to get them there. I have students who can get them there in like, you know, less time, 20, 30 minutes. And then I have other students who it might take them an hour and a half to get them there. So it really depends on the way you work, I guess. Um, but yeah, so they, and then I also want to dif- differentiate this between um, talking to the subconscious versus talking to an ego state part. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a whole, this could be a whole hour <laughs> on ego states and parts, right? And then the diff- 
And then how do you differentiate if you're talking to a part? Are you talking to the pure subconscious? What is the subconscious? Because I always... When you say the word part, do you are you meaning it in the context for people watching of uh, parts therapy, aka Roy Hunter style? Right, like Roy Hunter parts therapy, yeah. which it can be direct voice um, a lot of times, but also it's a, uh, it's so hard to explain because I have a mental model in my head, but then when I'm trying to explain it out loud, it's it sounds like nonsense. <laughs> Okay, so uh, with parts, I I personally treat parts like um, parts of the personality, as if the pers- the main personality has kind of splintered off. So mm-hmm. with ego states, you know, we have natural ego states. So at, when we're born and uh, we become a little kid, we have that child ego state. We have a child personality. We get older, we have an older child personality. Um, then we have a teenager, adolescent personality, kind of more rebellious at that age. Okay. And then we have the adult personality and yada, yada, all the way up. Um, now, every time we move into a new ego state, that old one, that inner child has not disappeared and gone away. Mm. We just kind of, it gets just kind of got pushed into the background. And sometimes that child will come into what I call the forward personality position. It will take over like the main personality and it will act. So if you see somebody who's acting childish, (laughs) you know, or childlike, um, it could be that their inner child has sort of taken over their personality um, to help them get through that situation that they're in. Now, so that that's natural progression of ego states that, but then we also form ego states anytime something traumatic happens or anytime we get into a state of confusion so if we're confused or traumatized something in us splinters to help us to cope through whatever is going on in the moment it's for our survival all right and so that is what i refer to as a personality part that part of the personality that kind of splintered from the main personality and then took on another personality to cope through that situation. So, um, and then, it, and then with coping, coping is really good to get through the moment that you you're in trauma. Okay. Get through the tra- traumatic event, but then it becomes a problem. If that part of the personality keeps giving you, Fear keeps giving you anxiety when you don't need it. Okay, you're not, you know, the plane isn't going down. It's not on fire. You're not going down. But then that part of the personality that's trying to keep you safe, that's trying to keep you alive, right? Survival is sending you fear and anxiety so that you don't get on that plane. So it's doing its job, but it's doing it too well. So, so, so I liken it to, um, when we're kitten, usually have, uh, we build a lot of these as children because that's when we go through our toughest times of our life. So we get a lot of parts splintered as children. Um, <clears throat> and so, but it's good. So when we're a child, it's like we're building a, like building a safe little wall around ourselves. But then as an adult, those walls become prison walls or the coping mechanism because now you're trying to move forward in your life and you can't do it because you're being held back. So with parts work, that's when we could go in, talk to the part, reassure it that, you know, we don't need 
it to do that anymore. I, I, I give it a new responsibility because parts like to help. <laughs> so I don't say, okay, you're fired from your job. Um, I say, you've been doing a great job all these years. You know, now it's just not helpful anymore. I appreciate you. I love you. But let's change the job. So let's give Alex confidence now to get on that plane or whatever. So, you know, so you go and negotiate with parts and then they have to agree to it and, and yada, yada. All right. So there's the personality parts. I'll work with them a lot. Um, but then there's also what I like to refer to as like the pure subconscious. And now this can get a little bit esoteric now. And so just bear with me here. No, go for it. <laughs> okay. And so people who are very scientifically minded might not like latch on to this, but this is how I can understand it in my mental model. Whether or not this is true, who knows? <laughs> All right. But this okay. is how this is how it feels to me. Okay. So when I'm talking to the pure subconscious, that's more like the soul, the spirit of the person. All right. That's the um, the part that's guiding people to do what's right, okay? Um, it's the part that's connected to source energy, God, whatever you're, you know, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, just that higher power, all right? Um, so we've got like the subconscious that that is sort of like a guide. I liken it to, I, I tell my clients, I say, you know, imagine if you were born with an invisible conjoined twin, right that knows everything about you loves you so much is always there with you but you just can't see it sometimes you hear it <laughs> right but maybe you just can't see it sometimes you feel it all right so that's that's what i like in the subconscious too also believe our body has a consciousness of its own our physical body has a conscious i call that the unconscious i call that the unconscious mind that's the autonomic responses that's your heart beating without you having to tell it to beat and, you know, breathing naturally in your, your digestive system, doing its thing without having to think that's the body's consciousness. That's the unconscious mind. So a lot of times I'll have the subconscious program in new commands at the unconscious level so that it affects both body and spirit. Um, so then you've got the higher power. And this, this is more like your, your angels, your guides, if you believe in that sort of thing. But I have had, um, I'm going to say entities come through. It's almost like trans channeling at this point, identify themselves as a particular angel or as the higher self or as a collective unconsciousness. And when um, they identify themselves as the collective unconsciousness, they start saying we, and right? And the whole time the client has no idea what's happening so i record it so they can go back and listen to it uh -huh. but when they're trans channeling it's like something is talking through them and it's actually pretty amazing stuff because um it's not always but it is mostly accurate mostly accurate information that they're getting and sometimes they'll they'll actually give me information about myself. I don't ask for it because I don't want to, you know, use the client's time like that because they're paying for it. It's their session, not mine. But sometimes um, whatever's coming through will sometimes have messages for me. And they've been actually pretty scarily accurate. <laughs> so, so again, what is this? Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly for sure what it is. Um, science will never be able, you know, will never prove uh, spiritual stuff. Okay. And 
so either you believe that it's spiritual or you believe that maybe there's something chemically or, or, or you know, neurochemically happening in the brain. It could be that too. And even if it is, how amazing is that? Um, because I also have the subconscious going into a body scan. And if they come to, to an illness in the body or a fracture or something going on in the body, then it will go in and it will repair that place in the body. And it will use, usually I'll ask it what it's using. And it usually says that it's using the white healing light. It's like a laser. It's like a white healing laser from God. And then not every time, but a lot of times the client will get a complete and total, almost miraculous, spontaneous healing right then in the chair. So, you know, so even if that's coming from the brain, like how amazing and how like well, yeah, phenomenal is that? <laughs> does it really matter why and how it works? No, as long as it works. Because I don't care about results. Yeah. Um, I personally think largely, again, as, as you've already said, it's, it's not something that's ever really going to get proven. And it doesn't matter if it's helping the client. Exactly. But I do think probably there's a large amount, maybe not all the time, but a large amount of uh, it working on a, 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 a metaphoric sure. kind of and, and we know that metaphors work in hypnosis too, right? Mm. So exactly. If it's getting the client results, cool. Yeah. Um, right. So what's the difference and you might tell me there is no difference, but I'm okay. <laughs> suspecting you will tell me there is some difference. What's the difference between what you call profound synabulism and things like for ultra depth for getting real deep? Apparently. So, so ultra depth and let's say Esdell state um, <laughs> requires full body catalepsy. Um, it also requires uh, a certain like uh, anesthesia. Okay, um, I don't have to get my clients unless they're going in for an operation <laughs> or something. I don't have to put them into Esdale or coma state or deep trance or not deep trance, but um, what did you just say? Um, ultra depth. Ultra depth. Oh. Right. I don't have. I don't have to do ultra depth because then they're completely cataleptic. I don't like them to be cataleptic. I like them to be able to move around and talk. I mean, they can sit up, scratch. They can have their eyes open and still talk to me in deep trance and still not know what's going on, still have amnesia when they wake up. But I think that's kind of like with stage hypnotists, um, you know, they get people to do all kinds of crazy things on stage. And a lot of times, um, you know, if they're somnambulist, they don't remember what happened. And so they're in deep trance, but they're yeah. doing crazy. I, I think I think that everyone's entitled to their own opinion, yeah. but I've spoken to a lot of stage hypnotists for these interviews, and as they go out, okay, people will see that basically the vast majority of stage hypnotists, when they're asked the right question and put on the spot, and trust okay. me, did that, will admit that stage hypnosis is basically complete and utter bunkum. Okay. It's an excuse for people to make an idiot of themselves and saying they can't remember just is getting them more attention because people will go, oh, well, you did this, you did that. Well, actually get I, more attention. 
I'm, I would say, yeah, maybe for the majority of people that they hypnotize on stage, yes. But I do think that there is a small number who really do go to that non-awareness state, um, who really, for instance, I, had a, I have a friend who is an amateur hypnotist, and um, he's always wanted to go to the non-awareness state. He's, you know, volunteer. He's kind of analytical. He's been on stage volunteering and, you know, yada, yada. And then he said that um, one time um, him and his wife were on a cruise and there was a stage hypnotist and she um, was just hypnotizing the people on the stage. But inadvertently, he became hypnotized just by watching it. He went into the non-awareness state or I like to call it the other than awareness state because I think we're always aware on some level. So he went into the other than awareness state and then he was doing all of her hypnotic commands that she was giving to the people on stage. His wife was laughing hysterically at this. And when he, he, you know, awakened from trance, he had no memory of it. And I have no reason not to believe him. So I think that it does happen. I think it's rarer than what is shown or what people think. But I, I do I do think it's possible. I do think it happens. Okay. The truth is we'll never know. Right, yeah. For sure. I mean, we just simply won't because there is no way of gauging this. There's all this nonsense about there being uh, um, CAT scans and... Yeah, and I think that's... Brainwave patterns. <laughs> right. The reality of it is you can get exactly the same brainwave patterns in the same area of the brain that they're calling proof of trance right. through other... psychological Without doing hypnotic inductions. Without doing a formal hypnotic induction, you can get the same result, which means it's completely not a cobbler's. Right. Um, yeah, and I think... The cobblers there is no evidence is the point no i think that i think the induction is john cleese saddle calls it pageantry okay (laughs) it's Mm. the ritual right that's not where the hypnosis happens okay at all (laughs) and not at all but it's supported by the induction The 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 hypnosis begins when you convince the client or the volunteer that they're going to be hypnotized Right. And you can convince them of that while they're wide awake. <laughs> well, you know, in your pre-talk or in your the assessment phase or on stage or whatever, you can convince them before they even come in. They may already be convinced that they're going to be hypnotized. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. If they're yeah. in the right state of mind before they even enter your consulting room. Right. Your job's done. The rest of it. If they believe it. Yeah, and you can mess it up by saying the wrong thing. So you have to be careful what you tell them and what they expect. And But I think that's also make sure that you're setting the proper expectations when you're talking to them. And I don't mean taking the magic out of hypnosis, which I think a lot of people do in their pre-talk. I think a lot of people take the magic out of it. Well, I agree with you there. So please do tell us more what you mean about that. <laughs> Right. So just telling them what they're not going to do, what they're not going to experience. Right. Oh, well, now I'm not going to do that. Now I'm not going to experience that because you just told me that. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, if somebody has say the belief that hypnosis is mind control, we know it's not mind control ultimately. But if they have the belief it is, then it is going to be that for them. It's going to be whatever it is for them. 
So if you strip that away, then oops, you've just taken away part of the magic there, (laughs) right? So if if you say to them, you're going to be aware of everything that I'm saying the whole time, so you don't have to worry, then they're going to be aware of what you're saying the entire time, (laughs) right? So, So set their expectations properly. So just I totally I couldn't agree with you more there. However, just to play devil's advocate for people watching on that basis, if you say to people that, you know, you you may you you could well be aware of everything I say to you at all times. You just you'll be so relaxed. You couldn't care less or whatever. Right. By the same token, surely if you said to them, you know what, you may find that your mind just drifts off so completely that you become completely unaware of what I, on any conscious level of what I'm saying or what we're doing, and yet it will have a positive and immediate uh, beneficial reaction at a deep unconscious level, that surely for the same reasons you just said before, saying that or setting up that expectation, um, as long as it's done with enough credibility, authority, and they believe in you, is likely to lead to that outcome. Absolutely, which that's already hypnosis right there. And arguably, (laughs) if you're setting them up there to believe that they're going to be consciously out of it, which would mean it is like the alleged we're out of it magic that they might think to be. I'll put them in a double bind. So, (laughs) you know, I'll ask them, what is your idea of hypnosis? What do you think hypnosis is? Whatever they tell me, then I'll say, you know, so so what if it is, um, oh, I'm going to be like a zombie and I'm going <laughs> to be mind controlled and I'm going to be completely unaware. And I'll, and I'll say, well, some people do find themselves in that really wonderful non-awareness state that feels so great. <laughs> mm-hmm. But other people are aware of the entire session and also feel wonderful no matter what you experience you're going to wake up with the results that you want feeling absolutely phenomenal or whatever, however you want to word that. But see, also put that <laughs> so either way, so if they wake up, then what I told them was the truth. Either, either they went into this non-awareness state or they were aware the whole time, but either, but either way they got the benefit of the hypnosis, the benefits from it. And so it's, it was the truth, but I let them pick or I let their subconscious pick, you know, how am I going to go into hypnosis? What's what's that going to, what is that, how am I going to experience hypnosis? What is that going to be like for me? So um, if they're not, you know, some people are scared that they're going to go to the non-awareness state and they don't want to go there, you know? So that's maybe when I'll say, well, I won't, you know, we do need to take away the fear, but again, without stripping away the magic. So maybe that's when I'll put them in the double bind just so they can feel good. So if they, they feel like, oh, I actually want to be aware, they can allow themselves to be aware. But then I um, I remember early on saying to somebody, oh, you're not going to be mind controlled. You're not going to go to this non-awareness state. And he said, oh, darn, I was really hoping to be. <laughs> so I completely, I realized what I did at that time. I was like, oh, I completely stripped the magic from the hypnosis and I made it harder for myself to get him into that hypnoidal state that I need him to be in. Yeah. I think he would have been much easier to hypnotize had I not said the words that I said. So, so, so what you're telling the client or the volunteer is very important, very, very important just to kind of watch your words and what you're saying and how you're saying it through the whole session. So not just, not just during the trance, 
phase, but the whole time you're talking to the client from the telephone call, right? Um, through the follow-up, everything that you say is meaningful and it's going to have an impact. So for me, I had to really practice being aware of that, that it all, like I can't relax and just talk like how I talk with my kids or something <laughs> to, you know, I can, relax, I can have fun with them, but I have to be cognizant of my words and what yeah. I'm saying and, and know that every word that I say is having an impact on them. So let me ask you, fractionation, which I'm sure everyone uh, watching should know, but essentially it's supposed to be the way to get people really, really deep. Uh, essentially, its essence just being to tell them to wake up and that when you immediately they open their eyes, you go sleep and you put them back again and then you wake them up right. and sleep deeper, deeper, deeper. Right. And you do this several times. And the theory is what is generally taught in all the books and stuff is that you do that several times and it will take them deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper each time. Frankly, my experience is if you believe that that is yeah. going to happen as the therapist, that it will do, you transmit it to the client, but you can get the same bloody result just saying to the client, I'm going to count from one to three, on the count of three, when I click my fingers like that, you'll be 100 if not a thousand times deeper, so deep that you've never experienced yeah. relaxation or sleep this deep. One, two, three. And as long as you deliver it with authority, same end result. I completely agree with you. Um, when I heard about fractionation, it's like when you wake up to your alarm, the first time you hear it, you're wide awake, but then you press the snooze button because you're like, oh, I've got 15 more minutes I can sleep. You press the snooze button. You go back, you sleep deeper. I don't know if that's really true. You, you might start dreaming again. Um, I don't know if you're actually sleeping deeper. Then uh, you hear the alarm again. You wake up, you push the alarm, and you go back to sleep, and you sleep even deeper, and then you and then you almost miss the next alarm. That was how that was explained to me, the theory behind fractionation. But with now, and I used to believe that 100%, and I added fractionation to all of my inductions. And I still have a, a, a five to one fractionation in my main protocol. But now I know that it's just based on your suggestion. What they believe will happen. Like if you set it up that way, if you say, hey, this is just like an, like your alarm, you know, and you convince them that that's what's going to happen, um, then that's what's going to happen. And so, you know, like what I'll say is um, I'll, I'll start counting backwards from five to one. Every time I every time you hear me say a number, you'll open your eyes. Think to yourself, deeper, relax, double your relaxation and close your eyes. Once I see your eyes close, that's right. Just like that. <laughs> Perfect, Alex. <laughs> then when you hear me say the next number, like nine, <laughs> you'll open your eyes or four, whatever. You'll open your eyes. You'll think to yourself, deeper relaxed, double that relaxation again, <laughs> go deeper. Okay. So, um, and then sometime by, before, by or before you get to the number three, maybe the number two, your eyes will become so heavy because they will have a compounding effect that you simply will not be able to open your eyes because they will feel so heavy, so wonderfully relaxed, just like your eyelids are melting down into your cheeks. Okay, so wake, wake up, Alex. <laughs> so, so, um, 
but you see where I'm going with that. I'm telling them what I want to do so that, you know, by the time they get to the number three or the number two, their eyes are closed. They have not opened, you know, they can't open their eyes. And that's also your eye closure and your eye lock or whatever, all that. Um, but it, but it's because it was based off of what I told them was going to happen. Not just if I didn't have those words to support what they were doing, they would open and close their eyes like with just like normal, like nothing would happen. They would just open yeah. and close their eyes. You have to back that up with suggestion. It is the suggestion that gets them into hypnosis. A hundred percent is the suggestion. And that is what is called waking hypnosis. Um, and so, in- because it's time's running away with us. Oh, sorry. Uh, that it brilliantly explains what you call waking hypnosis. So for the people who are viewing who haven't come across your protocol before, let me tell you, although I, and it's the same with all these interviews, I don't I necessarily agree with everything. I don't necessarily disagree. Um, but what I think is frankly irrelevant. It's what you, the viewer, think. And let, but what I will tell you completely impartially is that I've seen the feedback that Stephanie has been getting from people who have looked at her courses and they are positively raving uh, and saying how fantastic they are. So it really doesn't matter whether my view of how things work or Stephanie's view is right or if it's somewhere in the None of that really matters. Is it something that could be useful with your clients? And looking at the feedback I'm seeing people give Stephanie, then one has to have only one conclusion that, yeah, yeah. clearly it can be useful too. So tell people a little bit more, because we're going to have to wrap this up you know, in about the next sort of 10 minutes. What kind of things you teach them in your profound synabulism courses, whether it be right. live or the online video? So I, yeah, absolutely. And so I do teach waking hypnosis. I do teach deep trance, uh, profound somnambulism. Um, I don't like to work in the mid mid states because uh, the client could get aphasia. That's a whole other topic for when we have more time. <laughs> um, and I'll teach them how to remove resistance, and I'll also teach them parts therapy. So they'll 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 learn a lot um, if they go to stephanieconkle.com. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I will, Alex, I'm going to give you a discount code that you can give your viewers. Hey, and, viewers. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, for the month of February, if they use this code, they can get 50% off of anything, any of my online um, classes. Be clear, if you're watching this later, that means February 2020. Yes. If you're seeing this in 2021, <laughs> sorry, but the website will still be there and you'll still be able to. Yes, stephaniecockle.com. You can follow me on Facebook as well. I do have a group called Profound Somnambulism. You just have to be either a hypnotist or a clinical hypnotherapist um, to to be admitted. And uh, everyone is welcome to join. So just remind everyone again, when they go to your website, stephaniecockle.com, if there's stuff that they're interested in, what code do they need to stick in? Um, So uh, the code will be pretty. P-R-E-T-T-Y. For the, and that will work throughout February 2020. Yes. Right. Okay, which is cool because this video will go live uh, and it's a leap tomorrow. Year. <laughs> it's 
a leap year, I so you get one extra day. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I will put this video live tomorrow, which is, yeah, the 31st of January. Uh, so for the next few weeks of February uh, 2020, you can get 50% off. That is a massive, massive saving. So the link will be below this video to Stephanie's website as well, if you're too lazy to type it in. Um, final question. This is one I ask everybody, okay? Okay. And by all means, feel free to weave in uh, an insight into your own protocols and stuff. But if someone was to knock on your door and you answered the door and they got in their hand one, we'll just randomly say it's Dave Alman's book, Hypnotherapy, either the green or blue cover version. It yeah. doesn't matter. Content's the same. They, and they say, Stephanie, I've read this book. This is all I've read. I've not been on any live training courses yet. I've not bought any DVDs, nothing. I've literally just read this book. And I think this could be something I'd be into. And I think I want to become a hypnotherapist. What would your top three bits of advice be in terms of whether it's advice in what they should do in terms of training or if it's advice in how to build the business or it doesn't matter if it's advice on how to get confident in what they're doing what would your top three tips for beginners be okay well um so i, I think you touched on a few of those already so dave elman book yes <laughs> definitely that's a required reading um for all of my students if if they're taking basic hypnosis from me then definite require we even delve even past the book, we go into his classes, his medical and dental hypnotherapy classes that he did with the doctors and dentists, and we like really deep dive into Dave Elman. Um, so yes, stick with Dave Elman. Um, you know, and um, also not just Dave Elman. Start with him, but read everybody. Um, get everybody's point of view. Learn from everybody. Don't just learn from me. Yes, definitely learn from me. <laughs> but um, I'm not the end all be all. You can learn other techniques, um, a different way to do the hypnosis, something that resonates with you. So learn from as many instructors as you can. And then take what works for you, because if it works for you, if it's easy for you, then it's going to work really well on your client. Mm -hmm. But then make it your own, like start to like at some point, get off the scripts, get off the books, get off the everything and just trust your own intuition. You have a subconscious. You have an inner guidance system. Um, you have you will get to a point where you have all of the knowledge and all the information that you need to successfully hypnotize anybody with virtually really virtually any problem. OK, so like when people say, oh, um, I have this this and such problem. Can you hypnotize me for that? Even if I never have worked with that, you know, issue before, yes, absolutely, 100%. I can come. When can you come in? <laughs> okay, very confidently because it's not the issue; it's them believing that you can um, rid this issue. Also, I think from what you said before, from what I've listened to, and um, if if I've misunderstood, please tell me. Okay. But based on what you were saying about getting somebody into a really deep trance mm -hmm. it's irrelevant whether we agree on that or not but the deep they're hypnotized they're whatever right and then sort of suggesting to them that their unconscious mind you're talking to directly and the unconscious mind can i'll just paraphrase this book sort of find any problems blockages or yeah. negative 
things and then erase, delete, remove them in a way that's beneficial for them. That the person, the client's unconscious knows what to do. That's right. And your your unconscious knows what to say and their unconscious knows what to do. So the more that both of you can trust in that process and be open to it, the better your sessions are going to go. Right. And so um, what I say is um, I, I'm not in control of the session and you're not in control of the session. <laughs> Let's be clear. Your subconscious is control in control of the session. And it's going to be your subconscious mind that makes all of the changes today. Um, they totally understand that when you say it that way. It takes the onus off of you for whatever happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't put it directly on the client, but it puts it puts it on their subconscious. Plus, you are telling their subconscious that you expect the subconscious to work for you and to do the work today. Mm-hmm. So I, I usually, you know, pepper that into my pre-talk. Also, confidence. Confidence is is key. Even if you don't feel confident, fake it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Even if you're like nervous, fake it. Push mm-hmm. that back right and pretend like you're confident and then you will become more confident like as you do as you take more people just keep working on as many like if you're a new hypnotist work on as many people as you can possibly work on um i was lucky that my husband was a natural somnambulist i didn't know that there was a difference at the time so I practice everything on Have him and it works. Ever use that to your own advantage? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but because it, it was so easy for me to hypnotize him, and, he, and I was getting all this phenomena with him and amnesia in the beginning, and um, you know, uh, anesthesia, anesthesia, and and uh, all of this kind of stuff with him, I was like, oh. I'm an awesome hypnotist. <laughs> it's, you know, this is wonderful. This is so great. But it wasn't until I started taking a lot more people and working with them and, and running into like, oh, resistant clients and oh, analytical clients and oh, you know, like how, you know, not everybody's a somnambulist. So I really had to figure out how to work with people who weren't natural somnambulist. And that's what I kind of focused on. Um, for many years, and I do have some training as well at stephaniecockle.com. Uh, I have, have a one video called Easy and Effective Resistance Clearing um, that teaches you how to remove resistance. Because if you can remove, in using waking hypnosis, if you can use remove the resistance before you start the formal trance work, before you start the induction, it's going to make the session so much easier for you. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Stephanie, thank you. As I say to it every week, get a pair, a pad and a pen. Watch this video again because an hour just flies by and you probably hopefully get drawn into it and you will have missed the gold that's been in the past hour. Some of it you will have done, but you get a pad and pen and pay more attention. And in the past hour, Stephanie has told you ultimately if you were just starting out in hypnotherapy, there's actually enough information there to treat pretty much anything once you've got them hypnotized. The actual techniques are there in the past hour. Um, at their essence, obviously, they were more elaborated and more depth if you, if you take one of Stephanie's trainings. And obviously, if you're going to do that, do it before the end of February so you can get your 50% off. 
The link will be below the video. Thank you so much for your time and agreeing My to be here. And uh, if you'd like to see Stephanie grill me, then just type in Stephanie Conkle, Jonathan Royal into Google, uh, sorry, YouTube even, and the interview that Stephanie did with me uh, last year will come up so you can see the shoe on the other foot, so to speak. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Stephanie. And uh, tune in next week for another Hypnosis Week. Bye for now. Bye.